Let's pray together. Lord, we do come to worship your holy name, to exalt your name, to give praise to your name. Lord, I pray that uh, as your folks have led already in singing in the praise of your name, I pray now that the reading and the proclamation of your word would exalt you, would praise you, that the focus would be upon you and you alone. Lord, where I get in the way today, would you just move me out of the way and have your way uh, in the remainder of this worship service. And may you receive all praise and glory and honor in Christ's holy name. Amen. Well, I was tempted this morning to move on to uh, John chapter 10, uh, but there, there are too many treasures yet to be mined in uh, John 9. So we're going uh, to try to look at the various reactions to the healing of the man born blind. I think along the way, I hope along the way, we'll see something of ourselves in those reactions. Uh, I'm going to read the text just a section at a time, uh, so it's going to be a little different from what I, I typically do. Uh, but before I do, let me remind you of uh, the miracle itself. If you would turn in John 9 to verses 6 and 7. So Jesus said, I'm, I'm the light of the world in verse 5. And then he said, having said these things, he spit on the ground and he made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which meant, means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. In some cases, Jesus did a lot of miracles, right? And, and in some cases, he touched the person. In one miracle, the woman who had, been, had a bleeding disorder, she touched the hem of his garment. Uh, sometimes Jesus spoke and the person was healed. In, in one case, Jesus healed a blind man in stages. But in this miracle, Jesus spat on the ground. He made mud with the saliva. He placed the mud on the man's eyes. He anointed his eyes with the mud, told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, and then he was healed. Uh, we don't know exactly why Jesus made mud. Some have suggested that there's a connection to Genesis 2-7, which tells us that God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed air or breathed life into his nostrils. And since the man was born blind, Jesus is now taking dust and he's creating new functioning eyes. We don't know for sure. But the point is this, this miracle happened. And Jesus performed countless other miracles. A Jesus without miracles is not a Savior, uh, could not be our Savior. Think about that. A Jesus without miracles could not be our Savior. For his greatest miracle was to be raised to life. But still many people react negatively to his miracles. And we, we're going to see that in our text today. Let's read verses 8 to 12. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. And so they said to him, then how was your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. 
the healing of this man obviously caused a reaction among his neighbors, as do miracles and miraculous events like the Asbury Revival back in the winter. Such events bring faith and hope to some, but also uh, critics and skeptics come out of the woodworks. In this case, some were asking if this man who could now see was really the man who had been born blind. Some agreed it was. Others tried to explain away the miracle by saying, no, no, it's not him. It's just a man that, that kind of looks like him. It, it seems to be him. But the man kept saying, I'm the same man. I'm the one Jesus put mud on. I, I'm the one who went and washed in the pool of Siloam, and then I was healed. You, you see, the healed man was clear about what had happened, but the people were not. So apparently they decided to take him to the religious leaders, verses 13 and 17 to 17. Uh, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and washed, and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. In verse 14, John carefully notes that it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes. So when the man revealed in verse 15 that Jesus had indeed put mud on his eyes, some of the Pharisees immediately reacted, verse 16, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Rather than rejoicing in a miracle, the Pharisees were getting hung up in legalism. Jesus had made clay on the Sabbath, and according to their rules, that was working. And God had given the Sabbath as a good thing. And I still believe God wants us to take a Sabbath rest from our work. And I believe he, he wants us to set aside a day to worship. But the re religious leaders had taken Sabbath keeping to the extreme. For example... By their rules, one was not allowed to carry a handkerchief from upstairs in the house to downstairs in the house on the Sabbath. You could not cut your fingernails on the Sabbath. I've known people who've cut their fingernails in worship. I've heard them click. Uh, <laughs> you couldn't remove hair from your beard. You couldn't pluck an odd hair out. Uh, on the Sabbath. So spitting on the dirt and making clay was, was clearly prohibited by their rules. Further, one was not allowed, listen to this, to heal on the Sabbath. Medicus, medicine could be practiced if life was in danger, but according to commentator James Boyce, it was permissible to keep a patient from getting worse, but you couldn't do anything on the Sabbath to make a patient better. 
I believe Jesus deliberately healed this man and did countless other miracles on the Sabbath to demonstrate, first of all, that he is Lord of all, that he's Lord even of the Sabbath. And second, to demonstrate that all the legalism had become unnecessarily oppressive. Their hair-splitting rules had perverted God's good design for the Sabbath. They'd perverted God's good design for a day of rest and a day of worship. And I think Jesus' actions on the Sabbath and the Pharisees' response call you and I to ask, where have we become too legalistic, too legalistic, sorry, I can't talk this morning, and too oppressive? And I'm going to primarily let you ponder that one, where have we become too legalistic and too oppressive? But I want to give you one. I believe Tom Rainer gives a related answer in his Autopsy of a Deceased Church. He says that a dying church, and I would add a legalistic church, is one in which the church is more concerned about protecting the way we do church than reaching the residents of the community. The problem, says Rainer, some churches declare we will fight to keep the church just as it is until we die. To which he quickly adds, and that day is not far away. Listen, we have to have rules. In fact, I'm grateful to be part of a denomination that has checks and balances. For I've seen, I've witnessed, I've been a part of churches that have very few boundaries. It's not pretty. But we're challenged here to ask, when have we failed to see miracles because they didn't fit into our neat little definitions? And where have we allowed legalism and the resisting of change to keep us from reaching out to people? Interestingly, some of the Pharisees were not so quick to judge for it's continuing there in verse 6, some said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? You, you see, here stood a man who had been healed, and Jesus did it. So some of them were asking, look, he opened blind eyes. How can he really be a sinner? And could it be that he was truly from God? So the Pharisees, like the neighbors, were divided, but not the man. Not the man. Look what's happening to him. He's moving ever closer to faith in Jesus. When the neighbors first asked him about the miracle, he simply stated what had happened. But now when the Pharisees questioned him in verse 17, he declares, Jesus is a prophet. He's not yet ready to declare that Jesus is the Messiah and the Savior of the world, but that's coming. But he's at least willing to say at this point, well, he's a prophet. But the religious leaders were not finished. They now want to interrogate the man's parents. Turn to verses 18 to 23. The Jews did not believe, and remember the Jews here are the religious authorities, did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And they asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. 
His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. The Jews asked the parents in verse 19, Is this your son who was born blind? How then does he see? The parents in verses 20 to 21 answered the first question, and they acknowledged that he's indeed their son, and he was indeed born blind. But though their son had surely told them about the miracle, they evaded the second question, and instead, well, they almost throw their son under the bus, so to speak. He's of age. Go ask him. Of course, verse 22 tells us why they evaded the question. They were afraid of being kicked out of the synagogue. And now some of you might think, so what? Just go find another church. Well, it didn't work that way. Not in that society. This was a serious threat. To be put out of the synagogue was to be excommunicated, banished, put under a curse. It, it meant meant being banished from all religious and social life. It would lead to a significant loss of income. People wouldn't want to do business with the, the family anymore. It was a dreaded punishment. In fact, a little later on, some of the authorities uh, in John's gospel will, will want to believe in Jesus, but they too are afraid of being put out of the synagogue. A dreaded curse. And we're challenged here to ask, how have I evaded the question of Jesus? I mean, perhaps I'm not directly denied my faith, but, but when have I evaded the subject because, well, it just would be uncomfortable? Or, or, or I didn't want to enter into conflict? Or, or maybe there would be some other negative reaction that I just didn't want to deal with? Beloved, I believe the time is coming, and I believe it's coming quickly, when this question is going to be more poignant and the repercussions more extreme than ever on how we acknowledge or do not acknowledge Jesus. We really need, I believe, to settle this one as best we can in our own hearts, and our own minds, and we need to settle it right now. None of us know how we will react under persecution. I have long feared that I might not be nearly as brave as the list of martyrs uh, around the country and, and people who have come before us and people from other nations who have stood strong. I've long feared that I might not be strong enough. So we need to wrestle with this one, beloved. And I want you to be encouraged this morning by the resolve of this man uh, healed of his blindness. This, is one, this next part is one of my favorite parts uh, of this whole text, verses 24 to 34. Listen to this man's resolve and be encouraged by it. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he's a sinner... I do not know. One thing I do know, though I was blind, 
now I see. They said to him, what did he do to, to you? How, how, did he reop- how did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Oh, this man has the gift of sarcasm. <laughs> and they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. And that means they cast him out of the synagogue, beloved, the dreaded curse. The Pharisees question the man a second time, and they want him to acknowledge that Jesus is a sinner. I love the man's response, verse 25. I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. What I do know is I was blind, but now I see. Straightforward truth. I, I love it. But he got even bolder. When they asked again how Jesus had opened his eyes, he res- responded, Look, I've already told you. You want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples? And that really made the authorities furious at that point. And so verses 28 and 29, they reviled him, which means they despised him. And they said, we're disciples of Moses. And we know God spoke to Moses, but this man, we don't even know where he came from. And then the man gets really bold. He says, in effect, let me tell you something. The very fact that he opened my eyes, well, that proves he's not a sinner. God wouldn't have listened to this man named Jesus and healed me if he was a sinner. And then he states clearly in verse 33, this man is from God. Otherwise, he could do nothing. This was too much for the authorities. Unable to refute the man's logic and outrage that he would presume to lecture them. They threw the man out of the synagogue. I hope, should I ever need to, should you ever need to, that we could stand as strong as this man, regardless of the consequences. Pray the Holy Spirit empowers us to stand strong. And a quick reminder for those of us who already believe in Christ, this text has encouraged us to consider what we really believe about miracles. Specifically, do we trust in the miracles of Jesus? Do we trust them? Do we believe they are real? Because I really believe Jesus can't be our Savior unless the miracles are real. If the greatest miracle is to be raised to life, we've got to believe in the miracles. We can't cut them out of 
our Bibles as Thomas Jefferson was said to have done. Second, where have we allowed legalism to get in the way? And finally, this text is a call to stand strong for Christ. But I want to read a few more verses because they're really the climax of this text. Verses 35 to 38. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, the man, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. John surely did not record all of Jesus' miracles. In fact, John only records uh, seven specific miracles by Jesus and then uh, Jesus' resurrection. So scholars think, and I agree, that John was very intentional about the miracles he chose to include in his gospel. All of Jesus' miracles were important, but John chose these because there were, he believed there was a strong purpose behind including each one of these. And the purpose is stated in John chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that's what Jesus asked the man, verse 35. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And at first the man didn't understand, but, but then Jesus said, look, the Son of Man's standing right here in front of you. And the man said, verse 38, Lord, I believe. And then he worshiped him. Do you believe? Do you believe Jesus is the Son of Man? Do you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? And that by believing you may have life in his name? This miracle really happened just as it's described here. But this miracle is also a picture of what happens in the salvation process. Jesus opens spiritually blind eyes. I want to ask you have your eyes been opened? Do you believe? That's the most important question, and it's an inescapable question. Even if you avoid answering it now, you and I are going to answer that question on the day of judgment. The basis of God's judgment is going to be, be have you believed in Jesus? Have you believed in Jesus? But beloved, you can settle that right now, right here. If you've never believed, I implore you to answer that question this morning. In your pew, come here to the table, come talk with me or, or an elder afterwards. If you're listening to our live stream later this week or to the audio uh, in your living room or pull your car off the road and, and stop and speak to the Lord then and declare with all your heart, I believe. I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Let's pray together.
Father, if we already believe in you, I pray that you would empower us to trust you more. I pray, Lord, that you also keep us as a church and as individuals from getting so caught up in legalism and tradition and having things our own way. Keep us from getting so caught up in those things that we fail to see the lost and we fail to see a hurting world around us. We also pray that you would empower us to stand strong when the time comes and we need to defend our faith. Oh, oh Lord, may we not deny you, but declare you Lord and Savior. And Lord, if someone here today or listening to our service sometime this week does not know you, may this be their moment of salvation. Oh God, even now, may they receive spiritual sight and declare, I believe, and upon believing, worship you. To you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be all praise and glory and honor today and forevermore. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace today and forevermore. Amen.